0: This is our seventh episode for a World Podcast, and today we are talking about AI, generative AI, with Rob. And hi, Rob. Hello, hello. So, could you please tell about yourself and your background, briefly?
1: Sure. So, my name is Rob Sloan. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Orbis Tabula. It's a U.S.-based, basically digital twinning virtual production resource firm for we work with anyone from visual effects studios and, and production companies all the way to urban planning departments anyone that needs a digital representation of a physical location it's basically what we do
0: what actually inspired you or motivated you to to do it is uh, it
1: something sure. in
0: your background or
1: <laughs> yeah so i i've actually been in the film industry almost right out of high school. I actually worked in media production for a few years before deciding to go to film school. ended up going to film school because I I didn't want to be a a full-class computer engineer, much to my parents' chagrin. And then from there, I worked out in, in industry for a little while, and then I started teaching film, actually. And... What this all kind of boiled to is in in 2019, there was a SIGGRAPH presentation where different stakeholders that were actually working behind the scenes with Industrial Light and Magic were presenting how virtual production, specifically in-camera visual effects, was being done for this sort of nondescript silent project that we now all know as The Mandalorian. And when I saw that presentation, I essentially realized that this is the way that the industry is going to transition. And I rapidly started to work to push as many different people into this particular space as fast as possible. We were able to actually build out an entire virtual production studio at the university that I teach at. And as we were going through that process, a bunch of other stage operators that we were talking with, graduates that were out in the field, A lot of people that I'm just connected with, essentially, we all kind of had this realization that as cool as it is to have these gigantic stages with gigantic LED panels, and we can put really cool things up on the wall, that thing that we need to put up on the wall, there's not actually a whole lot of it, everything that was being done was essentially coming over from the game development, game design and game art realms. But all of those people were working in the game development, game design and game art realms, they weren't really moving into the Hollywood side of things. So out of the the need to create content, I went to my business partner, who's a, a friend of mine, and and basically said, hey, this is an opportunity that needs to be solved. And there's much broader applications aside from just entertainment. This is just what we know, and this is where we're going to start. So we've been doing large-scale photogrammetry production. We've captured entire cities. We've done things as small as objects. Basically, any any physical element that needs to be turned into a digital form for the purposes of anything in the digital realm, be it metaverse, be it entertainment, be it, you know, urban planning, it doesn't really matter. We can do it. And the underlying thesis for that is humanity will ultimately bridge its own understanding of what a virtual world is through the use of a digital twin. We want to facilitate that for essentially the next generation of computer users, because that's who's going to be operating in the virtual realm
0: an experience of stepping on actually on virtual production, but uh, during the Future Film Festival, like a conference, and it felt very cool. I, I mean, just to be actually on set, and you, you can actually move the camera and see how it moves, the, the whole background moves with you, and it does feel like it's real. You actually want to go and explore it further, but you can't because it's just an LED screen. So.
1: <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. It-, it can get it can get kind of trippy sometimes. The part that gets really weird is when you actually start to load in the, the frustum and then you you actually see all of the smearing that's taking place that, that isn't in the sort of the loaded the loaded area that the camera's actually seeing. It starts to look really wonky and trippy. But when you go back and you take a look at any of the footage, none of that actually matters yeah. because what's actually behind the the actor's or the camera's point yeah. is is extreme high fidelity and and right there so in in a fully immersive 3d realm that that works flawlessly the The limitation that we've sort of come into is that unless you're an industrial light and magic, your Weta, your Pixamondo, your Scanline VFX, like if you're if you're not one of these massive visual effects studios that has like you're basically running your own stages, if you're your own stage operator or your production company that's essentially looking to rent out a stage, a lot of times you have to build the content for that particular production, and if Mm -hmm. your your production scale is not is not feature film, is not high end streaming type content, the budget and and sort of more than anything, the lead time to actually build out those environments is extremely limited. So what a lot of us have been sort of looking to is where the places, and this is kind of where AI comes into play, what are the places where a generative image can actually provide the the resource that we're looking for, right? If, if we're not able to go out and essentially photogrammetry capture something, you know, And we're not mm-hmm. able to rapidly model something in Unreal Engine or Houdini or whatever else and load into the, the environment. How do we go about making that very quickly? Well, thank you, Stable Diffusion. <laughs> you know, Thank you, MidJourney, for being able to kind of put out these test cases. And it's only gotten better over time. It is a little scary how quickly these things move. Like, you
2: know, it's only a couple of months ago where was it the first the first version of dolly came out and no one really took it seriously well not a few months mm-hmm. ago almost like half a year ago yeah. something. like yeah no one really took it seriously and all of a sudden they started blowing up after like you know a few of these different images came yeah. out and how it won that art show like i don't remember where it was somewhere in the states there was like this a big art competition or something that AI generated art for the first time won an award i mean it wasn't solely mm-hmm. it wasn't straight off the like uh, Dolly or Image Journey or whatever, there was a, quite a bit of tweaking with it, but AI contributed a big part to it. I think that's when things started blowing up and then they moved into like creating music out of it and then ChatGPT came out. There's a lot of interesting things that people are doing now with the videos. And also, yeah. what was it? Was it text Run, to 4D Runway or video ML. to 4D? Runway or something? ML has yeah. been doing some really cool stuff recently. So that's why we're really excited to hear about the stuff you're doing digital twinning and everything. Can you tell us a bit more about like, how you, maybe how you envision that whole process and how that's going to fit in the workflow of um, people who's going to use this kind of technology?
1: Sure. A, a lot of it is, I try to bridge, it kind of goes back to the thing I said earlier about people understanding yeah. virtual based off of the physical. Whenever we, whenever we tell a story about, you know, a movie that takes place in London, what are the things that we typically see in the background? Right? We'll see big Ben somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. We'll see, you know, the London Bridge, right? We'll see any of these major landmarks, even though it's actually a back lot in LA, right? It, like they add that in the background. Why do we do that? Because it contextualizes for people who don't actually know this is where things are supposed to be. And these are the big features that actually exist. You know, the TV show Friends ran for you know 10 years or whatever. They shot the whole thing in LA, right? It was never in New York City. They did a whole bit where they actually went to London and it was also in L.A., right? They just had actors or Richard Branson with a British accent and a bunch of, you know, Union Jacks everywhere. And that's so that's how we've handled things in film. That's how we handle things in in most um, content creation, sort of production, anything. Right. We fake it. Right. Everything is faked out. The difference Mm -hmm. is now what we're trying to do is we're trying to. Essentially, reduce the, the number of people that are actually there to be able to create this this fakery. So, if if where we go and and we're like, you know, what, we want to be able to take this particular location and we want to be able to redress it, right? Which is a sort of terminology from filmmaking where you take a particular location, it looks one particular way, but you may take out the furniture, you may take the you know, paintings off the wall or whatever. You want the location, but you want to make it look specific to your story context and sort of setting. Mm-hmm. We can do the same thing with a digital asset considerably easier. There have been some techniques that that have come out recently, mostly with the stable diffusion realm, where they took a someone took a model of, of a scene. It was multiple assets, right? Not just like a chair, but it was like a chair, a desk, a picture frame and all this kind of stuff and based off of the geometry of this model, they just typed into a little box what they wanted the texture to actually be. They hit enter, their GPU spun up, and it literally texture mapped over the entire thing. Even though it's multiple assets all kind of separated out, it's just able to kind of toss over what's supposed to be where, based on the fact that the AI understands the context of those pieces in relation to where it goes. And that's in 3D. And that, so that's that's AI generation for textures of what's there. Take that in context of I want to take the exact model that I have of New York City and I want to make it, you know, dystopian apocalypse. I want to make it, mm-hmm. you know, early 1930s, right? When some of it's supposed to be under construction or whatever, but, you know, take it where it actually looks dressed that particular way. All of the set extensions that we used to have where, you know, actors are doing their lines in the foreground and then they have a green screen behind them. All of that set dressing type of work that's that's normally done could now be done in a generative capacity. And because for the camera, the focal plane is still on the audience, generative AI is not perfect, right? We've got these weird things where we've got like six and seven fingers moving different ways. (laughs) those kinds of little issues pop up all over the place right fine lines all get kind of like weird and hazy but for filmmaking purposes it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect all the time particularly if it's going to be out of focus and if the the focal plane is going to be where the the characters actually are in the foreground of the image the background can be generative ai and as long as it looks right essentially from a a little bit of a distance and with a little bit of a blur on it Mm -hmm you're able to do things that fast, like it doesn't take any any time at all, you just have to have the right sort of prompting, right, the right idea in the back of your mind, mm-hmm. as far as what's going to make that mm-hmm. particular scene work. So mm-hmm. that allows us to take a lot of the the virtual art that needs to be built, the environments, the in some cases, characters, in some cases, you know, scenes, like whatever it is that we're needing to put together, whether two D. 2.5D, or 3D, it all comes into sort of the available pool as far as resources that any art department, virtual art department or otherwise, is able to essentially play around with. And here's the really cool thing. As soon as you start generating materials, you can actually now extract depth maps from them, right? Because we're, we're essentially creating 2D images, but there's a perception of depth associated with this. In using the right seeds, you can actually create alternate perspectives. And so you can effectively generate from a a flat two-dimensional image or a series of images, a full three-dimensional object. That three-dimensional object, if it's generated in AI, right, it's not something that's ever modeled in reality and then scanned in. If it's completely generated in in, a GPU, essentially from prompts, and you get depth maps from it, you can now turn it into a 3D asset and you can actually take it over to a 3D printer and then print that into reality. So effectively what you've done is you've taken creative inspiration and, and thought, turned it into a visual that you actually want it to be, right? You kind of tune it, tweak it, you know, go through a couple rerolls re-rolls or whatever, right? You may tweak it a little bit in Photoshop, but once you have those elements, you can now bring it into, into reality as a physical thing. So not only are we taking physical elements into the digital world we're about to be able to take digital elements that we're just thinking of and bring them into basically go the opposite way it's it's the star trek replicator you know all over again but real
0: <laughs> i think recently i even saw the like short video of like a scene where they used to um, to create this create the generative ai in order to create images and the video itself and additional AI to do voiceover. So it's basically Mm -hmm. a scene in the movie created entirely with the actors and everything, with the background. It still looks a bit off, I know, but (laughs) it kind of uh, is impressive. But do you think the AI will take over, or it's like it will be background?
1: I'm going to plug a, someone that I, that I follow on Twitter. It's at Mr. John finger. This, this guy, he, he generates, he generates all kinds of really cool stuff. A lot of it mid journey, sometimes stable diffusion, but he, he does a lot of what you're talking about where he uses a bunch of different AI tools in order to generate a script based off of his kind of rough idea, create the, the imagery, add in dialogue based off of synthetic voices, and even do things like create a little bit of like false sort of camera movement. Uh, He's put together little little animated blurbs, little, you know, four-shot pictures kind of like a, a comic book panel to an extent, but he's also created sort of animated video in, in the exact same context. So, anyone listening, I would definitely recommend checking him out. It kind of goes exactly what Ann's talking about. Uh, this what this arena is ultimately going to it's not going to take away from the from the traditional Hollywood mindset, right? It, or or mm-hmm. sort of production capability. It will augment it in a manner where the the sort of high end visual effects technicians that understand this technology and understand how to make use of it are going to be able to be more efficient in what they do, right? AI is a tool. Mm -hmm. It's it's not it's not sort of coming up with the stuff on its own. It's all based off of human inspiration saying, I generally want this thing. Give me Mm -hmm. ideas. Right. So from a, from a concept art standpoint, because there's a lot of people in the concept art community that absolutely hate the idea of this, um, those that, that adapt and start to use AI and generative AI will find that their concept art ends up being far more efficient You end up having far more ideas and you can essentially go through the the process that you would normally go through considerably faster anyone that's in the environment community is is able to do the same thing right just the more options that are on the table for you creatively it gives you mm-hmm. more opportunities to be able to say, no, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. Or, hey, I like that. I hadn't thought about doing it that way. Hey, I like that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about doing that. Let me, let me get, let me iterate, right? Let me blend these together. Let me, let me find these different components and, and see what, what all works. It's, it's one of those things where you have to treat it like a tool. I've, I've got a, another friend of mine that <laughs> we joke about this from time to time. And he, he likes to say, AI will never replace humans, AI is going to replace humans that use there that don't use AI, right? Like, that's yeah. going to be the crux of it in the exact same way that a lot of people may not know this. But uh, from from stories that I've been told, Christopher Nolan famed, brilliant director is not so much for technology, right? He hates digital filmmaking. He hates digital mm-hmm. projection. He loves shooting on film. He apparently doesn't even use his own email. He has an assistant do it. He doesn't even have a f- really a phone that he uses for, for much of the technological things. He's just not a technology for person. And that's okay mm-hmm. because he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. How many filmmakers can, can start out today, not use a phone, not use email and literally just operate off of their brilliance they can't. It's not a functional possibility anymore. Everyone that that works in sort of the business community, right? Completely separated from any kind of, you know, directly artistic or technological anything, they have to understand how to use email. They have to use, they have to understand how to use Zoom. They have to understand how to use all kinds of different, you know, word processing, change detection, all that kind of stuff as, as far as being able to handle documents and connect to things on the cloud. Like all of those technological evolutions, have had to come from somewhere. And initially there are people that are resistant to it, but ultimately they adapt over as soon as they realize the benefits to it. We're in the hype cycle. There are going to be a lot of detractors. There are going to be a lot of people that don't like it. There's a little bit of sort of an ethical gray area in some of the generative space that we can, we can talk about, but ultimately this is, this is going to be the trend forward that technology just takes, right? There are too many moving parts and too many of the things that people should have been upset about if they wanted to be upset. They needed to be upset about five and 10 years ago, but they missed the window. And now that they're seeing something that they think threatens them, rather than understanding it, they're basically throwing their hands up and saying, it's all bad, make it all go away, make it all stop.
0: But I think it's just like, recently, we had a lot of people worrying about the lawsuits with Getty images and Mm -hmm. uh, staple diffusion. So we probably need to still, still see how it will play out.
1: There's a couple of lawsuits, yeah. kind of big, big players in the space. Some of it, it. So some of this right now, you know, it's 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 middle of February 2023. When, when we're recording this, one of the lawsuits currently taking place in the United States that's in the Supreme Court is it's like the Warhol Foundation versus and I, I don't remember the name, but essentially it's, the, it's a photographer who initially shot the, the photographs that Andy Warhol made of prints, I believe it was. And the case is is currently before the Supreme Court in the U.S., mostly because the Warhol Foundation essentially released unpublished artwork that Warhol had done back in the day based off of sort of an anniversary release. Well, the problem was when Andy Warhol first made all of those, the different options that he was essentially was putting out to the magazine to potentially be published, he only paid for the license of essentially one to actually be published. Paid for a license to be able to use and create sort of the artwork, but only one to actually be published. And that's what the magazine did at the time. So when the magazine essentially publishes another one. The photographer goes back and says, Hey, wait a second. You didn't pay me for a new license. Mm -hmm. The arguments that are currently in place in that one mostly come down to essentially the legal definitions of a transformative work. Mm -hmm. And this has ramifications into the generative AI realm, because what a lot of the, the generative AI anti and, and pro are essentially having deal with in these new lawsuits is The technology behind generative ai does not copy right there's no no technical basis to suggest that it does in fact copy the whole latent images thing like there's no data inside the actual model itself it's essentially a bunch of statistics based off of a system's best guess as far as what you think it's trying to create in doing so, does that actually create a derivative or transformative work that would make it where it doesn't require any kind of licensure from the original dataset images? That's essentially what the argument is gonna be made for essentially text-to-image-based things like stable diffusion or, or what MidJourney does or Dolly, right? That mm-hmm. They're all kind of operating under a, a similar technology itself. The Getty realm is essentially trying to make An argument that because you copied all of our images to put them into a data set, you've you've essentially violated our copyright, right? Because we didn't allow you to do that. Therefore, therefore, you didn't. One of the problems that they're going to run into is that the way that the way that these data sets have been collected through an organization called Lion AI, L-A-I-O-N, I believe, is that they're essentially sourcing things on the internet that are already on the internet, right? Essentially published Mm -hmm. on the internet for free visibility. This is exactly what Google has been doing for two decades. It's web scraping. And so the argument that they're going to unfortunately run into is this gigantic wall of if, and, and some of this has already been approved by the courts to say, nope, if it's on the internet for visibility, it's on the internet for visibility. It is essentially in the public for review. Any public information at that point can be used for any purpose. So Google is not going to want this to be web scraping is now illegal, right? That would be a massive mm-hmm. problem for them on top of the, the new AI stuff. But there's also a recent court case from LinkedIn versus Haiku Labs HiQ Labs was taking publicly available LinkedIn profile information, putting it into a database and then selling it to different like HR companies and stuff like that to say, here are the different types of people that are doing different types of things, either in your organization or similar to competitors. And here's what you can do with this data. LinkedIn didn't like that. But the courts came back repeatedly saying, nay nay, this is publicly available information. They can do with it whatever they want, right? Just because it's on your website doesn't make it yours anymore. So there are a couple of sort of background cases at play there. There's obviously the ones that are directly in, in contention. The good of it is there did need to be some kind of legal framework to put this in place. Regulators do not operate quickly, right? We, we saw that happen Mm -hmm. with the U S copyright office and, and the, the woman that was putting together the, the comic book, that whole thing, literally the copyright office is currently saying we're gonna we're gonna kind of sort of wait until the, the Warhol case is decided before we come up with what the regulation needs to be for AI, right? So there's a lot of moving parts in different different arenas here that it's helpful to have. We need the court cases to start deciding things so that we can get a we can sort of figure out what track this is all gonna go down. But the courts in the US have historically not been wanting to run, we, they don't want to shut down business, right? They don't want to shut down commerce. They don't want to destroy everything and every kind of progress that's being made, unless there is an egregious, as they see it, egregious violation of rights everywhere, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm married to one, but um, there, there's, there's a there's a lot at play. It is important to have because we do need decisions to come down so that you know the appropriate regulation can be there. I am a big proponent of. I I think Lion, I think a couple of these other organizations that are creating these data sets do need to make an easy mechanism for artists to be able to search data sets for their own material if they don't want to be involved. I think think being able to remove your own content, verify that it's yours, but being able to remove your own content seems like completely fair play. What I would suggest to those that are a little bit anti-AI, however is there is a functionality in generative AI called fine-tuning. And if all of these companies are essentially going to be able to make an in-the-style-of option available in the text prompt, you might as well take advantage of this, build your own sort of fork of stable diffusion, of mid-journey, if that's a possibility even, or or Dali and build it around your artistic style. At that point, sell access to that. Get, get you know processing fees and usage fees. Like do do like if people want to make content based on your style, right? You can't copyright a style, mm-hmm. you can't really trademark it or whatever. But if people are wanting to make use of it, obviously there's there's a market for it. So take advantage of that opportunity and get yourself the royalties that you think you deserve based off of the data set, right? It's all yours anyways, right? So use it to the advantage of the way that technology is evolving. You may find some use for it, and you may be able to create your own stuff with it. But don't, don't just sit back and be like, nay, nay, no, make it all stop. Because that's, unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. It goes against every bit of forward progress. AI, a lot of people like to talk about the metaverse, and they feel like it's it's all imploded. Now everyone's into AI. AI's been around for at least a decade, right? Realistically, with big money in place. So you're not stopping AI progress. It's that that ship has long since sailed. The metaverse issue is mostly just a it's an early adoption and hype cycle where a lot of people got into something. There were a lot of scammers involved. They were just riding the wave. Everyone needs to be aware of grift, Mm -hmm. but the interactivity in three dimensional space is something that we do every day when we interact with people. So being able to do that in an an internet based realm is going to happen. Maybe, maybe it's called the metaverse. Maybe it's going to be called something else. I don't really care. We're going to get back to that point. It's not the same thing with AI, right? The AI wave is, is cresting here, right? It's, we're about to, we're, we need to, we need to get on the surfboard and start riding the wave down because we're done paddling. So it's <laughs> kind of a long winded response <laughs> of, of yeah. a couple different ideas, but.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's a great, it's nice. a one. Okay. Yeah. I think we're running out of time waiting yeah, that, yeah, I want to, I want to invite you for like more, maybe for like twins, maybe AR, XR bits if you are doing something in it in the future. So.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll come back for season two.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, we really enjoyed this conversation, so that's why we could go on for hours, but
1: yeah. I Run into problems all the time. I, I nerd out with people for way too long. <laughs> it's a fun conversation to have so yeah Yeah, no we'll we'll come back there's there's a lot in the the ar vr space there's a lot in in, they're all connected together but it's a matter of which rabbit hole are you following Mm -hmm. you know the rabbit down (laughs) Exactly. if you want to find me or any of the the work that i'm doing you can find me on linkedin rob sloan got a following there i have a very tiny twitter following I, i just started that one that's rob makes meta And then you can go to my company website if you're looking for any kind of business-related work. It's orbistabula.io. Thank you very much.
2: Great. Thank you. Great to meet
1: you.